Historically and today, our country has been overrun by those with money and power, giving little voice to the everyday American. We're here to change that. Welcome to All Rise, the Libertarian Way with retired Judge Jim Gray. Each week, our program addresses the problems we are facing in our country, as well as thought-provoking and effective libertarian solutions. This could change the way you see opportunities in your life and your children's lives as well. Now, here is Judge Jim Gray. Hello, everyone out there, and welcome wherever you are in our great country and around the world. Uh, This is Judge Jim Gray on the Voice America Variety Channel, and I am just continue to be excited and happy to be able to share interesting, challenging thoughts, uh, issues going on around our country. We all know that a lot of things are not going well. In fact, some bad things are happening, but some good things are happening, too. And uh, you're going to hear from our special guest, Mike Farrell. That name is familiar to most people out there. He was B.J. Honeycutt on the TV show MASH, and so we're going to talk a little bit about that, too, just because it's one of my all-time favorite shows. But on this show, we're spending an hour each Friday morning, 10 o'clock Eastern Time, 7 o'clock Pacific, and around the world, and just take one of the issues of our day, uh, many of which are really not discussed by our so-called leaders, and if it isn't discussed openly, honestly, directly, then you're going to find a lot of so-called leaders that demagogue the issue, that, that use it to divide us. And that's what's happening with the issue that we're going to be discussing in this segment, which is the death penalty. Uh, I, as a sitting trial court judge uh, for 25 years in Orange County, California, really only had one death penalty case uh, throughout that time. Most of the time I was doing probate or civil cases, but the one I had was really egregious. There was a man, his name was Teofilo Medina, actually, and he would rob mini-marts at the point of a gun, and he would, as best we could determine, he robbed four mini-marts, and after the non-resisting clerk uh, handed over the money that they had, which was not all that much, he actually executed me, shot five people in the back of the head in these four different robberies. And so as, as bad a situation as, as I could come up with. However, so I was the the judge on the preliminary hearing, I was in the lower trial court at the time in municipal court and bound him over on uh, three of the four because one of them was took case out of county and then watched while he was actually convicted of a death penalty case uh, in superior court about a year later. He, 22 years after that, he was still on death row. By that time, his attorney told me that he was probably so psychotic, he did not even understand what would have been happening to him. Uh, And it was just enormously expensive. And I just determined just in looking at this one case that the victims, the family members left behind of those non-resisting clerks never got closure throughout this entire period of time. Part of the reasons that people say, oh, the victim should get closure, they should be able to see the maximum penalty was was provided, well, it never happened. And in fact, put yourself in the position of the victims, and I've seen this happen a lot, where all of a sudden we have this constitutional issue arise, you have a new trial, you have a new sentencing hearing, where now 10 years later you bring the victim's family back on the stand to relive this whole thing, tragedy again. It just is simply not providing anything that is of any value. It is dividing us. And then I read a book, and it's called Just Mercy, 
by a fellow by the name of Brian Stevenson. And it was horrendous that he was an attorney in Alabama and Georgia, even in the 1980s, toward the late 1980s, where he would talk about and write stories about his clients who are people always of color. They were all African-American in those, in those towns and cities and, and states, where some of them were literally convicted of death penalty offenses and were totally innocent. In fact, they had one of them had like 15 people. He was at a party with 15 other of his neighbors at the time that the murder occurred, and they discounted the testimony of all 15 saying, oh, well, they're just covering up for him. Just atrocities. If one murder happens and, and uh, we execute an innocent man, that is simply unacceptable. So we have this very successful Captain B.J. Honeycutt from MASH, uh, actually Mike, you were from you in that show. Said you were from Marin County. I don't know where you're from, but uh, that always got my attention. But we have our guest, Mike Farrell, a really wonderful man, very successful in Mash, and we can talk about that a little bit. As I understand it, Mike, you were actually raised in Hollywood and went to grammar school with uh, Ricky Nelson and with Natalie Wood, which would have been kind of interesting. Uh, good people and obviously great people. And then uh, you were in the Marine Corps, as I understand it, in the late 1950s for a couple of years, and then went to my alma mater, UCLA, studying acting. Again, UCLA comes through. Go Bruins, because they obviously did a good job there. And then we're have been active for quite a while now in a group called Death Penalty Focus, uh, where you are involved in uh, uh, just really doing God's work. I have written several articles about the death penalty and taken the position that regardless of where people fit philosophically with regard to the death penalty, it isn't working. And even just as I was about to complete those articles that were printed in the Los Angeles Daily Journal, which is a legal publication, we had the epitome, the logical extreme happen, because there were two different cases, one in Orange County, California, the other in Los Angeles County, where two pretty bad fellows were convicted of death penalty offenses, and then they asked for the death penalty. Why would they do that? The jury complied. Why would they do that? Because they knew full well that they would never be executed, that we're a compassionate society with all of the protections. But in the meantime, they would have a jail cell that would be half again larger than it would have been otherwise. They wouldn't have to have a roommate, so they had a better life. They had more access to television, to libraries, to visitation. It was just simply a better life. And that is, in fact, literally what is happening today with the death penalty. So, Mike Farrell, thank you for spending time on our, on our show, All Rise, and welcome. Thank you very much, Judge. I appreciate the opportunity to, to speak to you and your audience. Um, if I may, you've raised a couple of points already that I'd like to uh, speak to briefly. Um, first of all, you may, having been a judge in Orange County, you may remember the name Don McCartan. I do. Uh, judge, judge McCartan was a Superior Court judge in Orange County for many years. He was known as the Hanging Judge of Orange County. Um, oddly, uh, he and I knew each other in the early 60s when I uh, was uh, working as an attorney. Um, I had an attorney's service in Orange County and used to go into various lawyers' offices and uh, get the papers that they needed filed or subpoenas to be served or what have you. And I came to know Judge McCartan then, before he was Judge McCartan. Later years, uh, he became, he went to, was elevated to the bench, and uh, 
in Superior Court tried uh, a dozen, I believe it was, death penalty cases, and he and I had occasion to run into each other again and get to know each other. And he told me how frustrated he was by the system, because as you pointed out with the Medina case, um, none of the men that he had sentenced to death uh, had, had been executed. And we're talking about 10, 15, 20, in some cases, 25 years of appeals and processes that the cases go through. And he said, the system simply doesn't work. He said, I agree with you. We need to get rid of the death penalty because it's a false promise uh, for those people who believe in it. And, uh, and it's a system that, uh, that is failing in every regard. Um, uh, and we can go into some of that. <laughs> As well, you mentioned closure, which the prosecutorial forces uh, offer to um, the families, the grieving families of uh, murder victims, um, and saying to them that uh, trying to sell them with the idea that they will uh, suffer only up until the perpetrator of the crime is killed, at which point they will have closure and they'll be able to move on with their lives. Well, that's, of course, an awful lie to tell people that... uh, Suddenly, their loved one is no longer going to matter to them uh, once they've uh, once the perpetrator of the crime, assuming they get the right person, uh, is uh, executed. Closure has always been, a, I think, a false promise that uh, the prosecutors rely upon. Um, thirdly, you mentioned um, Brian Stevenson, the author of uh, Just Mercy. Brian is a dear friend, one of the most extraordinary human beings I've ever had the pleasure to know. And for those of your audience who have not read Just Mercy, I urge you to do so. It's, uh, it's, it's a fascinating, uh, compelling book about um, being black in America and uh, how it affected him, the work he does, and how it's, he is trying to reconcile um, the racial disparities in this country. And he's the, one of the great, I think, proponents of justice in our society. Um, And finally, you mentioned that some, uh, I would take issue slightly with you here, you mentioned that some uh, um, convicted individuals uh, ask for the death penalty because they want to live a cushy life. That's hardly the case. Death row uh, existence is no fun for anyone living in a uh, six-by-nine cell, smaller than most people's bathroom for... Uh, 10, 15, 20, 25 years, uh, with the only really uh, outside connection being the if, if you have family or if you have people who come and visit, um, you simply uh, are one of the lucky ones because most of them don't. And the other, only other people you, you interact with are your guards. Uh, the people who ask for the death penalty in most instances are suicidal people who either have been sentenced to death and volunteer for execution or are uh, simply uh, uh, so mentally unbalanced that they commit a crime in order to be to have the state kill them. Yeah. Um, I understand. I, I, I withdraw that a little bit, Mike, and, and I'm sure you're right. Uh, it did happen that those two men had done that, and that was the rationale given for it, but it ain't no fun, believe me. No. And let me, but before we get further into this, because there's so much to talk about, uh, tell us if you would. Uh, I loved your your mass show 
I know you've done other things as well, but give us a couple of anecdotes, if you wouldn't mind, uh, about your your fans from from mashes to some funny things that happened while you were shooting or or anything else. And I'll also ask you eventually: Do you ever have reunions with your staff? Well, first of all, um, mash was one of the great experiences of my life. Uh, certainly, the finest experience of my career thus far, and. I've had some awfully fine experiences outside of it, but MASH rises above every other, uh, other, every other acting or producing or directing or writing situation I've ever been involved in because it was, um, it was, it was unique in many ways. Um, I still, today, I mean, we're, we're talking 30-plus years after the show ended, and as you know, it runs uh, every day somewhere. Um, and people still um, uh, attach themselves to it, embrace the show, and we've we've often been asked why. I think uh, Gene um, Reynolds, who was the director producer of the show, the one who initiated the show um, so many years ago, 1971. Now, um, said he said the show is the perfect existential situation. He said most people, many people, probably most people don't join the military. Most people haven't fought in a war. Um, but most people do understand the need sometimes that where you're, you're pulled away from your family in order to do something meaningful. And the cost of that is borne by those people who are courageous in some instances or people of integrity. Um, who just feel that there are there is this work that needs to be done. Maybe it's for the family, but in whatever instance, it's it's doing something that takes you away from your loved ones, and it's something that you uh, perhaps would rather not be doing, but no needs to be done. And he said, people. He he believed people understood that on that kind of personal, immediate, uh, emotional level. And I found that to be true. I think the the reaction I get as because of having been lucky enough to play BJ, but also just people talking about some of the characters, some of the actors, some of the circumstances that we um, that we dealt with on the show. The the connection is really profound, and it's um, very meaningful even today. Um, I hear from people who say, I watched the show as I was growing up with my father or with my grandfather and grandmother, and now I watch it with my kids or my grandkids. And it's the idea that we have not only survived over the generations, but have been meaningful to people over the generations is really, I think, a wonderful tribute to the the writers and to the show. Um, so I, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm madly in love with the show and the people uh, that I had the opportunity to work with and, and I'm um, uh, happy to be uh, talking about it to anyone. Um, people often ask me uh, if, if, if doing the show was as much fun as it looks like. And I, I inevitably say it was more fun than it looks like. And as you have done, a lot of people say, well, tell me some funny story that happened. And it's sort of hard to pick them out, you know, because we we were always frolicking and we were always having a good time. Sometimes we were weeping at, about the situations that, were, that we were describing. But 
um, it, it, I, it has to suffice to say I did practical jokes. Uh, I became the kind of jokester on the set. Um, and sometimes the jokes carried on for weeks, and sometimes they were over in a minute. But they were they were all expressions of love. We just we just had great fun with each other, enjoying what we were doing, proud of what we were doing, and grateful for the opportunity to be uh, to be part of it. Well, Mike, I have uh, I for the last three years have written something and sent it out by email called Two Paragraphs for Liberty, and at the end of that, I put in a quote. And I, I quoted Harry Morgan, which, of course, was uh, Colonel Potter on your show. One of my mm-hmm. all-time favorite quotes, which was, if you ain't where you're at, you're no place. Uh, and uh, <laughs> I, I think that he's just right in there. And that just came straight from the, uh, from the mouth of Colonel Potter. Yeah, yeah. It, in a, it, in it, about it a minute that we have left before we take a break, tell us one practical joke that you, uh, you did, you villain, on the, on the set. Oh God, I can't do it in a minute. There, there, there are too many and too. Uh, I will tell you that your answer to your other question. Yes, we get together whenever we're in the same city. Um, Loretta and Alan are in New York, and Jamie Farr is here. Um, much of the rest of the kid, Gary Berghoff, who played Radar, is spent his time in Connecticut and Florida, depending on the season. So we don't have an opportunity to be together often, but whenever we do, we cherish the time. Well, I cherish your show. I, I used to watch it religiously and, and uh, still do. And those of you uh, youngsters out there that are not familiar with it, as uh, Mike says, you, it's, it's, it's eminently findable on Netflix or otherwise. But we're going to come back in a few minutes and get more serious and go into the death penalty. I'm going to ask Mike Farrell, uh, B.J. Honeycutt from MASH and a wonderful man, uh, how he got involved in this movement. Uh, and, uh, and we will just continue to discuss how the death penalty really isn't working no matter whose side you're on, no matter what your philosophy. You know, it's not a deterrent. The victors don't get closure. Enormously expensive. Uh, and every, In fact, we couldn't even be members of the European Union if, because they don't allow any country in their union that allows the death penalty. So we're going to talk about those real serious issues when we come back after these messages. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. The Libertarian Party is the third largest political party in the United States, and it's more successful than ever. We don't just talk the talk of individual liberty and free markets. We also walk the walk. Libertarian Party candidates are getting elected to office across the United States, and we are making a difference. The Libertarian Party is also the only third party that routinely has ballot access in every state. Our achievements and influence grow every year, and you can be part of that success. You can register as a Libertarian Party voter in your state to help us achieve easier ballot access. You can also visit lp.org today to become a member of the Libertarian Party, no matter which party you register with. Join the Libertarian Party today at lp.org. Together, we can move mountains. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to All Rise, the Libertarian Way with retired Judge Jim Gray. To find out more about Judge Gray, visit JudgeJimGray.com. That's JudgeJimGray.com. Now, back to All Rise. Well, thank you for those words, and this is Judge Jim Gray again on All Rise, the Libertarian Way with Judge Jim Gray, uh, with my special, truly special guest, Mike Farrell, uh, who's a gifted actor, uh, has a very successful background, and has also evolved into really a factor being with death penalty focus. So, Mike, thank you for that. You had mentioned earlier that you knew this Judge Don McCartan, who I will tell was kind of gruff outwardly, old school, uh, pretty hard-line fellow uh, and uh, had that reputation as a Superior Court judge here in Orange County, uh, and I knew him quite well. Uh, if Don McCartan would come out and say the death penalty is not working, uh, that's gospel, and that's certainly true. So, Mike, how did you end up personally uh, involved with death penalty focus? Uh, and tell us a little bit about death penalty focus after you give that lead in. Sure. Um, thank you. I um, I have to say I, I was raised uh, uh, in the Catholic Church. Uh, I was always taught that uh, thou shalt not kill, and I thought that meant everybody, you don't kill people. Um, but um, I never gave it a, a lot of thought. And then in the uh, 60s, I was involved in a halfway house organization that involved um, bringing a program of possibility to people in mental institutions or people in prison or people off the streets. And in the in the capacity of a uh, one of the I suppose people running the program, um, I went into prisons um, for the first time in my life and was stunned by the horror uh, that I encountered. Um, human beings who were dehumanized at every step of the way. Their names were taken away. They were numbers most of the time. They were treated like cattle and worse, and they were, they lived in circumstances that were brutal and brutalizing. And I remember, you probably remember as well, a book came out many years ago called uh, Animal Factory about, uh, about the fact that the prisons were not only counterproductive, but uh, so so counterproductive that they were creating worse people than uh, they were when they went in. Um, and uh, I got involved with a number of different things uh, as I grew uh, up and as my career began to kind of uh, rise in terms of um, public knowledge, I suppose. Um, I was asked to do different things. And got involved in a number of different social justice issues, but uh, the death penalty has always just seemed to me to be wrong. And as you're aware, I'm sure, um, in 1972, the Supreme Court uh, held that, said that the death penalty didn't meet constitutional muster and did away with it until it was fixed. Seventy-six, it was they considered it fixed, uh, and the death, the killing, started again. 
Um, and at that time, I was uh, part of MASH and um, a minister from the South, uh, a man by the name of Joe Engel from the Church of Christ, contacted me, and he said, I understand you're against the death penalty. You, I had signed a petition or something to that effect, and I said, yes, that's correct, I am. And he said, I need your help. Uh, I need someone who can help me get attention and get press attention for the fact that we're going to have a bloodbath in this country. The death penalty has started up again. A number of people have been killed, and uh, it's going to get worse. Um, And if you you would be willing to help me, I'd uh, I'd be very grateful. And I said, well, sure, how can I help? And that started a Joe ran something called the Southern Coalition on Jails and Prisons out of... Uh, uh, Tennessee, and I went down there. He took me to the Tennessee's uh, state prison's death row, and that was the first uh, time I'd ever been to death row. I had been in prisons before, but never on to on to death row. And I was, uh, I will say, a little intimidated, um, a little scared by the process. You know, we all hear the terrible stories about these child-eating, fang-toothed monsters that are on death row, and. I went with some trepidation, but immediately was struck by the fact that most of the people that I saw on death row in Tennessee were black or brown. Some of them were deeply grateful for my being there. Others ignored me completely. Some were sort of incomprehensible in their ability or inability to speak. Um, Some were deeply psychologically injured. That was clear to me. and it it was it was sort of an eye opening experience as you can imagine and since then that work with the southern coalition expanded and then um, a woman from the southern coalition started the virginia coalition on jails and prisons and asked me to come to meet a young man who was on death row in virginia that she was trying to get off death row because she believed he was not guilty of the crime and I met this young man and got involved in his case. And the uh, laws in Virginia at the time, if you can believe this, they called it the 21-day rule, and it said that after a murder conviction, a capital conviction, after three weeks, three weeks after a capital conviction, no new evidence can be admitted in the case. Uh, it made no sense to me then. It makes no sense to me now. The, the law has been changed in Virginia, thank heaven. But uh, new evidence that would prove this man's innocence was simply inadmissible in court. Uh, So the campaign to uh, get the governor to commute his death sentence was the thing that she wanted my help with, and I got involved with that, and that leads to getting involved with other cases in Oklahoma and Utah and Nebraska and Texas and California, where in 1991 we uh, had the first execution in 13 years, I believe it was. Um, and in fighting the execution here in California of uh, Robert Alton Harris, I was contacted by Death Penalty Focus, an organization that was founded in 1988. And I had been at one of the early meetings, but I hadn't been involved with the organization per se. And I saw the work they were doing, and they recruited me, and I shortly thereafter became the president of the board of directors and have been ever since. Um, so I get involved in these cases around the country um, with uh, sister organizations, if you will, that work with Death Penalty Focus. We work around the world in some instances. 
And uh, it's something I say to people, uh, people ask me why I'm doing this and why I've done it for so long. And I say that it's a little like quicksand. Once you get your, get your foot into it, you can't, you can't pull it out and you just get sucked in further. When you see the injustice, you see the horror, you see the bloody-mindedness, you see the brutalization, you see the dehumanization, you see innocent people being uh, executed, you see... We now, as you know, Judge, I'm sure we have 166, I think, people who have been tried, convicted, and sentenced to death in this country, only to have been finally found and uh, uh, found to be innocent of the crime and, and, and exonerated and freed. What we don't know is how many who were innocent have not been exonerated and freed and were, in fact, executed. So it's a, it's, a, it's a terrible, terrible broken system that is, as my experience will tell, <clears throat> has told me and will tell, I think, anybody who cares, is racist in application. It's only used against the poor and the poorly defended. It, is, uh, it, it entraps and kills the innocent as well as the guilty. And it is hideously expensive. Uh, the, here in California... The death system, the working through the process of the, the required um, appeals in the state and then through the federal system, takes 20 to 25 years after, uh, after the conviction. And it, is, it costs $184 million per year, according to a study done by former Judge Alarcon and his uh, his his uh, assistant, uh, so it, it, it makes it makes no sense on any level. I think I, I'm proud to say, Mike, that uh, the Loyola Law Review wrote an extended uh, or published an extended article by Judge Alarcon, and uh, I had a very small article at the end of that. He's just he didn't have to do that, just like you don't. But he has to speak out for for knowing this truth. You, you simply have to speak out and, and thank you for doing it. And you're in a position, honestly, in our world that with your fame and success, people will listen to you. They listen to me a little bit, but uh, uh, on behalf of us all, of freedom-loving people, uh, Americans for the values that we carry, thank you for doing this. And, and I mean that genuinely, and I know I speak for all of our listeners as well. Thank you. That's very kind of you. You know, um, we, I, I've been trying to come up with the reasons why people should withhold their or take away their support for the death penalty. Uh, it's my understanding that it costs, people don't realize this, it costs something like eight times more for the taxpayers of California uh, to, have, to pursue the death penalty with a defendant, to go through all of these, you say 20 to 25 years, both in the state system and then afresh in the federal system with all of the protections, all of the court reporters, all of the, the other protections which we appropriately give them. Eight times more than it would cost to have a trial at which only a life without possibility of parole would be the maximum sentence and keeping them in prison for the rest of their lives. So, I mean, that money is important to some degree. It's not as important as the, the reality of not 
executing somebody that's innocent, but money does factor into this as well. And uh, I, I, do you, from your standpoint, are my statistics correct? Eight times more? I, 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 don't know, I don't know the multiplication tables, but I will tell you that uh, the study, the Alarcon study, said that it was $184 million every year we're spending in California to maintain the death system, even though we haven't killed anybody for 13, almost 14 years now. Yes. And life without parole or life a non-death sentence, uh, life without parole being the highest, um, it cost $11 million per year. So I think I think you're in the ballpark with eight, at least, uh, perhaps more than eight times, and and it's uh, you're right. It's I used to not want to talk about money because money shouldn't be a concern about life. But when you look at the reality of the political situation we find ourselves in, 184 million dollars. Let's say 100, given the 11 million dollar option, uh, 175 million dollars. Um, or $3 million, I guess it would be, um, could be used to buy books for schools that don't have them, could be used to feed hungry people, could be used for, to teach people about uh, how, how to be better citizens. It, it, there are so many uses that could, that money could, be, could be used for instead of wasting it on a system that is reprehensible upon any basis of analysis. Well, Mike, too, you know, I was a judge for 25 years in the trial court here in Orange County, and, and you see this wherein, say I am a judge, and I'm having a death penalty case, and for some reason, my election comes up every six years, and in next year, I'm up for re-election, and I know full well that some district attorney may be running against me, so would it feed into my decision process as to whether this defendant should should be given the death penalty or not, just so I could get reelected. You know, those sorts of things do happen. And it's just yes, an outrage, an outrage yes, in our system that, that it, it uh, we would put ourselves into this position. I quite agree. A, a judge who would have the audacity to uh, turn down or turn away from a death case or free a person who's accused, but the evidence shows otherwise, um, it is then too often uh, labeled soft on crime um, and maybe chased out of office, as you suggest. It's just, it's an institutional problem and, and it's not something that we should, we should put up with. And again, the victims are used, they, they don't get the closure, just like you said. And I read an article about one man whose daughter had been brutally murdered, and he eventually attended the execution of the murderer. And he said when it came down to it that watching this man go to sleep with his needle in my arm didn't give me any closure. I didn't feel any better. I didn't feel that my, my daughter was more exonerated. And in fact, to, to kill someone else in the name of my daughter made me feel woeful. So, so it's not the victims. They're just being used as pawns, in my opinion. I agree. So, you know, okay. um, you, you may be aware of this fa the fact that uh, uh, Benjamin Rush, one of the signers of the Declaration of Independence, was, among other things, a founder of the Pennsylvania Prison Society. And he was a quite extraordinary human being who said at one point that he opposed the death penalty because he said it dehumanizes not only the people who are being executed, but the people who do the executing and the people who are associated with the process that leads to the execution and ultimately the society that supports it. Uh, 
hear ye, hear ye, Mike, and that's that's exactly right. It, it does dehumanize us. You know, we if someone is a robber, a raper, uh, we don't rob that person. We don't rape that person. Why do we, in effect, if you're a killer, why do we feel good about ourselves by being involved in institutional murder? It, it makes it makes no sense uh, because. We kind of divorce ourselves from we would never rape someone that had committed rape. Why would we kill somebody that had killed? It just is internally inconsistent. Absolutely. Then you you get people, okay, and uh, this is an, an emotional issue and the rest, but how could someone uh, not be opposed to abortion? Because the killing of a life is, is critically important, and I certainly agree with that. But how could a person then who was against abortion be in favor of the death penalty? That seems to be a bit inconsistent as well. So what we're talking about here simply does not stand scrutiny. That's, I guess, my ultimate, my ultimate decision. And again, I thank you for being the watchword on this because uh, you get attention where a lot, of, a lot of people could not. You don't have to do this. You're not making any money on it, uh, but you're, you're doing it, you're speaking for us all from your position. Uh, and, uh, and again, we thank you. I can tell our listeners that, uh, Mike, you are aware, but uh, maybe they're not, that in 2018, you won the, or given, awarded the William O. Douglas Award for from the public council's office. Uh, congratulations yeah. for that. Thank well you. deserved, and and that's a wonderful organization as well. I agree. It's a, a terrific group, and uh, they do fabulous work and very important work. I think, and I was honored to be uh, to be so selected. So uh, we're going to come if, back. If, if, <laughs> Go if ahead, I may sorry. say, just in just in case any of your listeners want to. Um, have a question or want to know a little more about what Death Penalty Focus does, if I may just say that they can reach us at uh, www.deathpenalty.org. And uh, I would be happy to respond to anyone or anybody uh, at our office can if, or, if there's information that's needed. That's actually the way I encountered you, Mike, and uh, oh, you're responsive, which is very much appreciated. That uh, you you responded right away. You're just you're just you do you do yourself proud. You do us proud. So we're going to take this break and then come back and have further thoughts with regard to the death penalty. Uh, our guest, Mike Farrell from Mash Fame. Uh, and death penalty focus fame is here to tell you, as am I, Judge Jim Gray, that regardless of your political philosophy, uh, it just the death penalty just does not work from anyone's standpoint whatsoever, uh, and uh, we must repeal it from uh, from all all standpoints, philosophical, political, financial, uh, or or anything else. So we'll be back in a couple of minutes to uh, finish off this very important issue after these words. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. The Libertarian Party is the third largest political party in the United States, and it's more successful than ever. We don't just talk the talk of individual liberty and free markets. We also walk the walk. Libertarian Party candidates are getting elected to office across the United States, and we are making a difference. 
The Libertarian Party is also the only third party that routinely has ballot access in every state. Our achievements and influence grow every year, and you can be part of that success. You can register as a Libertarian Party voter in your state to help us achieve easier ballot access. You can also visit lp.org today to become a member of the Libertarian Party, no matter which party you register with. Join the Libertarian Party today at lp.org. Together, we can move mountains. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for the keywords voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for voice America. You are listening to All Rise, the Libertarian Way with retired Judge Jim Gray. To find out more about Judge Gray, visit JudgeJimGray.com. That's JudgeJimGray.com. Now, back to All Rise. So this is Judge Jim Gray again. Welcome. You're with us on All Rise, the Libertarian Way with Judge Gray, with the understanding that if we employ libertarian philosophies, accountability, responsibility, the rule of law, that we will all rise together. And so our guest is Mike Farrell, as you know, of MASH fame, but also of death penalty focus fame. And Mike, off off the air, you were telling me that you're actively involved now in trying to reach uh, the district attorney in San Bernardino County in or in uh, California about what kind of case? A death case. Um, um, a terrible, terrible crime was committed. Uh, four people were killed, uh, and one was seriously wounded. Uh, three children and two adults, um, and one of the uh, children did uh, did survive. But it's a, it's a phenomenally um, infamous case. Uh, someone slew all of these people. And um, a man by the name of Kevin Cooper, a black man who had recently escaped from a m- minimum security prison in, in the area, was, um, was tried and arrested and tried and convicted and sentenced to death for it. There is a great deal of evidence that suggests that he was a, a, a convenient um, subject rather than the actual perpetrator of the crime. And um, I have ha- actually, fortunately, had some conversation with the new DA because the former DA was intent on killing uh, Kevin. Um, and the uh, Governor Brown, at, at one of the one of the last things he did was approve some new DNA testing that the the defense is asking for. And Governor Newsom has expanded on that and ordered new uh, further testing that Governor Brown was asked to do and did not. But I had a conversation with this gentleman uh, about the case and uh, just asked him if he would consider meeting with the defense attorneys because they had some things that they thought it would be beneficial for him to know. So far, uh, we had one conversation about it. I said I'd get back to him, and so far, <laughs> I'm not having much luck getting back to him because he doesn't respond to my calls now. But the, uh, I think the point of the exercise is there is, 
there are there is a growing interest in um, developing within the prosecutorial uh, ranks um, con- um, conviction um, tests, uh, conviction justification um, units, where they'll look at cases where there are, there are claims of innocence and re-examine them. And in some instances, some sta- cities and states around the country, um, they're finding uh, a, a willingness on the parts of prosecutors to not just defend their uh, successful death penalty um, verdict, but turning it over to somebody who tests it, looks at it, and examines it and says, I just want to make sure all the the T's were crossed and the I's were dotted, and, and we did this properly. Because as, as you've suggested and as we all know, some of these cases are uh, simply unjustly prosecuted because the prosecutor is um, politically ambitious or just has tunnel vision about a case and wants to has a lot of pressure on her or him and self and and um, just uh, presses on a on a, on a, a likely victim who or a likely suspect who um, meets the prosecutor's need. Too many, too many instances have uh, arisen now. I mentioned the 166 people who have been exonerated, and what we don't know is how many people have been killed who were, in fact, innocent of the crimes. Um, so I, I, it, the, the system, as you've said, Judge, time and time again, there are so many aspects of the system that are simply wrong and so many aspects of it that are corrupt um, and ultimately, it seems to me, we as a people do ourselves harm by um, continuing to pursue this as though it is a, an appropriate part of a, what we call a justice system. In, indeed so, Mike. And I, I can tell you that the biggest source of false convictions is personal identification. And mm-hmm. when I was on the bench, uh, I would a witness that was there for uh, identification would ask him or her, say, uh, Miss Witness, I can tell you, I don't feel I'm particularly good at remembering identifications of of seeing people and being able to identify them later. I I just don't feel I am. Do you feel you are? And I think that's a neutral question that everybody should be thinking of. But thank God for DNA testing. And, And while you were talking, I was thinking to myself, and now I'll mention it, We should always, if there's any question of innocence and any request by the defendant, convicted or otherwise, for DNA testing, we should fall all over ourselves to do it. We should make sure, and probably numbers of times they would show that it was a positive, but uh, we should then at least feel better about knowing keeping people in jail, in prison, who didn't do these various things isn't all that much better. So DNA testing, I think, should be a no-brainer. It should be done all of the time. And if I can help with any, and I'm telling you this publicly, if if I, Jim Gray, can help you in any fashion, uh, in any of your work in that regard, please let me know, because I'll fall all over myself to do it. That's very, very kind of you, Judge, and it means a great deal. I, I uh, let, let, me, let me back up. When I told you that one of the early cases I got involved in was in Virginia. There's a young man by the name of Joe Giratano who was convicted of murdering, raping one and mur- murdering two, a m- woman and her and her daughter. Um, Joe was a drug addict and alcoholic as a result of horrific abuse, and he was in, um, he was subject to blackouts by the time he was in his early 20s. 
And he was living with these two women and blacked out and woke up and they were dead. Uh, and mm. he didn't know the whole story, but they were both dead. And he assumed, being an evil person himself, he, that he thought that he must have done it. So he turned himself in uh, to a police officer and said, I think I just killed two women. And the police officers were only too happy to have this man to confess to this terrible crime. But the, the, the facts, this is the 21-day rule, the facts that were examined uh, in, by, an, by an independent party uh, around the case and, and the evidence and the what have you, um, demonstrated that Joe did not do it, but we couldn't get him. We couldn't get him. Uh, not, we finally got him on de- off death row, eleven years after he was uh, after he was convicted. But the, Doug Wilder, who was the governor at the time, would not free him. He said, "I would subject him to a new trial." And Joe said, "I would be happy to be tried again." Um, and you know, go, go as the evidence suggests. But the attorney general there was not willing to challenge or take the run the risk actually of having her successful prosecution overturned, so she refused. Joe remained in jail until last year when I went to get him out of uh, on parole. Not not no governor or no state official has ever been willing to acknowledge the fact that he is not guilty of the crime. But he finally was granted parole uh, after 38 years in prison. Mike, those are just horror stories. I I love my country, and I think by and large that our civil justice system works, and by and large I think our criminal justice system works, and we should be proud of that. It certainly can always be better. But when I hear stories like you just said, you know, the 21-day rule for mm. after which you receive no evidence, even of of factual innocence, it's an atrocity. It is not what we stand for. And and I think it was Kafka, I, I don't remember this, but I think it was Kafka who wrote that you can tell everything about a civilization by looking into its prisons. And what yeah. you were telling me is just an atrocity there as well. That uh, I'm not, I'm pretty law and order guy, but uh, my goodness, we the United States of America has 5% of the world's population and 25% of its prisoners. And as used to be Senator Jim Webb, from U.S. Senator from Virginia, said when he was looking at those statistics, either we're the most criminally minded people in the world or we're doing something wrong. Which do you think it is? And of course, I know what I think. Uh, it's just we're, we're over incarcerating. Incarceration is the answer for, for everything, seemingly. Uh, mm-hmm. There is a Senate bill up in California right now simply to repeal the automatic enhancement that if when you're sentenced for a felony, you'll get an automatic extra year enhancement for each felony that you've previously been convicted of, mm-hmm. uh, which, you know, it's just this arbitrary show how tough we are does not work. And, and thank you for bringing these things out. Uh, it's just really important that we realize these things. Uh, I'm going to give you a second William O. Douglas Award, uh, the, the way you're talking. <laughs> it's, it's, just, it's just what you're doing is appreciated. And, and again, you have a podium. Uh, you don't have to be doing this. You're not making any money on it. But I, I will say, I've said this once before in my program. I'll say it again. That Probably the most general question I can think of, Mike Farrell, but what is the most, the most important thing in life? And the answer to me is gratification. 
It's it's knowing that the world is a slightly better place because you have been there. You know, it's not money, it's not power, it's not fame. You can get gratification from those things, but you must be getting a great deal of gratification knowing that you're speaking for for justice, speaking for for America, that that's who we are uh, and we can always get better, but you are helping us do that. On behalf of us all, Mike Farrell, thank you. That's very kind of you, Judge, and uh, I, I would think I would word it a slightly different way. I think the most important thing in the world is love. But <laughs> okay, well, I'm not going to debate you on that one because I found the love <laughs> of my life. But uh, and I loved Mash, but that's a different issue. You know, there is something called the <laughs> there is something called the Innocence Project, which yes. again, it's abhorrent if we executed somebody that was innocent much less, you know, not, not guilty, but, but it's just simply unacceptable to a civilization and uh, you feel it. And, and I do too. Uh, But, but we, we simply have to get these facts out. One way we can do this, if you have questions out there that you'd like to ask of Mike Farrell or death penalty focus, uh, Mike, what was the website again? www.deathpenalty.org. Okay, and when we go there, uh, you'll see, because you are around the nation. You've been talking about Virginia and, and various yeah. other places. Uh, this, it, do, do you have offices? Uh, how can people uh, uh, contact you other than, than that? Do you have various offices? or Where is your office? The, the office today is in San Francisco. It's been our office for 20-some years, but uh, we are now going to move to um, Sacramento to be closer to the legislature because I think we're moving into a direction where some really important things are going to happen in terms of criminal justice. Um, and But anybody who needs to reach us can always reach us through the web and um, that, that we can um, put them in touch with anybody who needs to be um, uh, contacted or perhaps we can help in some way, shape, or form. Well, again, I can tell you that they're responsive from their website. They had B.J. Honeycutt living in, in Marin County. Did you, do you <laughs> yes. actually live there? No. No, that was the idea that, uh, for, of them for B.J., and I thought it was wonderful. I've, I was raised here in, uh, in uh, West Hollywood, California, before ah. it was a city. Um, my fo- I came here from Minnesota with my folks when I was two years old, so I'm pretty much a Californian. Were you friends with Ricky Nelson or Natalie Wood? Uh, Natalie and I were in grammar school together, and I had a huge crush on her, of course. Um, Good taste. And uh, Ricky I knew in junior high school. Um, you know, it's living in Hollywood or near Hollywood, there's, uh, there is that, that possibility that the people you run across are people who are in the business, and I certainly have um, become fascinated by it because my dad worked as a carpenter in the studios and because I lived in the area and because I knew some of those folks. And well, that's what they're saying about you now. That, well, I was in <laughs> junior high school with Mike Farrell. <laughs> that's an interesting thought. <laughs> well, Mike, again, we have overdone prison 
punishment. Yeah. Uh, we can take enormous amounts of money and district attorneys say, oh, the uh, budget doesn't matter. This is for justice. No, it yeah. isn't. Everything is no. a cost-benefit analysis. Uh, think of that we could not even join the European Union if any one of our states uh, ha had the death penalty. Uh, we couldn't get uh, uh, people extradited either if, if the death penalty. So these are things that That's we right. just need to need to think about. We need to legitimize the discussion, which is kind of what we try to do here on All Rise, the Libertarian Way with Judge Jim Gray. And you have helped us do that, bring a face to it, bring a realization to it. Uh, what we're doing is barbaric. Uh, your trip into prison, uh, I've never been into uh, uh, a, a death penalty prison before. I've been to San Quentin, but not in the not in death row, but uh, and I was able to get out, which is always always nice to know too. But it yes, it, it is. is inhumane, uh, and uh, I I had mentioned to you that we had you and I had met once before, uh, where I was that judge that was talking about uh, we have to repeal drug prohibition, which I strongly believe, and uh, mm -hmm. you know we we have people like Charles Manson that was actually moved from one state prison in California to another because he was found to be selling illegal drugs from his prison cell. And again, he was in solitary confinement. So just legitimizing the discussion is pretty much all we need to do on drug prohibition. And it's pretty much all we have to do, in my opinion, with regard to the death penalty, which is simply unlike us. It is not what we stand for. So once again, thank you for taking time and being with us, uh, Mike Farrell of MASH and of Death Penalty Focus. Again, it is www deathpenalty.org, and this is a good man, folks. He will respond to you, a good, caring person. So thank, thank you, you for Jeff. being with us again, Mike. We really appreciate it, and, uh, and we're, we're in your debt. Uh, please join us another time for The Libertarian Way with Judge Jim Gray. We will all rise together. We'll talk about issues directly. If you agree or disagree, I'll give you out my website, which is uh, judgejimgray.com or Jim P. Gray, Jim P. is in Peter, Gray, G-R-A-Y, at sbcglobal.net. Uh, feel free to comment. Uh, I will respond to your comments, pro, con, otherwise, death penalty, drug policy, uh, school choice, wherever we are. This is an area in which we really need our leaders to discuss these issues openly, fully, Honestly, just like Mike Farrell has been discussing the death penalty, because I swear to you, and you've seen this, if we don't have good people discussing it, we will have so-called leaders that will exploit these issues, which has been done famously with regard to the death penalty. Oh, show how tough we are. Vote for me. I'm tough on crime. The death penalty to protect our, our victims is simply flat out not true. So please join us again. We'll take on a new subject. Uh, and we'll be discussing this next time when we meet on All Rise, The Libertarian Way with Judge Jim Gray. In the meantime, thank you for being with us. Talk to you soon. Life is good. Thanks for listening today. All Rise, The Libertarian Way with retired Judge Jim Gray can be heard every Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time and 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We know you'll want to join us again next week and tell your friends that help is on the way. Strengthen my ball.